Well, good morning once again. Oh, some of y'all fell asleep during the prayer. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That's why I'm surprised. No, I, I know that it, life is busy. We're all exhausted. and <laughs> But it's good to be able to, to come together, to fellowship together, to worship together. And, um, you know, there's, there's a saying when it comes to public speaking that you don't ever want to follow a children's act. Um, but that is what has happened to me this morning. Um, so I decided that I would build upon what uh, the, the children shared with us this morning. And so that's, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to spend some time looking at the blessed hope that we have in Jesus' second coming. But we're not just going to stop there. We're going to continue forward, and we're going to also look at the wonderful things to come after that event that we refer to as the blessed hope. And you know, the Bible often uses the term eternal life when discussing these things. In prayer to his heavenly father, Jesus said the following, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, 3. It's in Christ that we have the hope of eternal life. It's in Christ that we have the hope of eternal life. And in addition to using that term, eternal life, many of the Bible writers also talked about being saved. Being saved. Acts 16 says this, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That's Acts 16, 31. But whether we're talking about being saved or having eternal life, it's all rooted in a person. It's rooted in a person and that person is Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus that we find hope, comfort, love, forgiveness, and life. Jesus is for us, not against us. He stands in defense of us against the evil one. The evil one, the adversary, the enemy, the one who would like to smear us, to label us as lost causes. And Jesus comes to our defense. Yes, it is true that we as Christians are called to a, a, a higher calling, a higher calling, a higher purpose. Sin and wickedness are not something that a Christian should be striving toward. Yet, in our erring human nature, mistakes will be made. Mistakes will be made. And it's in these times of, of failure, these times of regret, that we need to lock our eyes back on Jesus. 1 John 2.1 offers us words of comfort on this matter. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
in the heavenly court, jury. Jesus is our judge, and Jesus is our defense lawyer. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good to me. So then the question becomes, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Now, I admit, life is hard. It's not easy living in this world of sin. And as I spoke about last week, there are times where we might feel completely overwhelmed, too tired, too worn down, just defeated. We may feel like giving up. But thankfully, we have a few promises that we can hold on to. Thankfully, we realize as Christians that this world that we are currently living in is not our final home. It's not the end of the matter. This sin-filled life is not our true destiny. Now, Titus, a writer in the Bible that we don't always quote very much, he's got a very small book there in the New Testament, but Titus calls us to look higher Titus 2.13, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. When it feels like this world just can't go on anymore, it can't go any further, when things get so bad that men and women, as the Bible says, are losing themselves, their hearts are, are failing because of fear. It's at that moment when we can look up and see that our victory is coming. Matthew 24, 30, it says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Just when it seems like all hope is lost, that's the moment when Jesus comes and saves us. He will come with power and glory, yes. And as amazing as that is, it's not the whole story. There's still more. Those who have already passed on into death will come forth just as Jesus did on that Easter Sunday morning. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise. But those who still remain, those that are still alive, they aren't forgotten about. Verse 17 continues, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall, say this next word with me, always, always be with the Lord. Amen. Can you comprehend it? Can you even fathom that? The entire Bible, it tells the story of mankind's separation from God and then all the things that he is doing to bring us back into connection with him. We soon will experience full connection with him. No more separation, no more distance, and no Men, man or woman will be forgotten about. For Mark 13, 27 says, And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. 
Now, maybe those of us here that have been raised in this country where we experience so many freedoms and, and, and we've heard about the second coming and, and, and we feel that as a nation we are blessed. Maybe we don't feel like we might be forgotten about, but, but I have friends that live in other countries that, that can't be open about their faith. They've, they've got to pray, they've got to meet, they've got to study underground, and, and sometimes they feel very alone. Sometimes they might even feel that they are forgotten about by God. Because life can just get that hard. But it's verses like this where they find hope, where they find encouragement, where they find comfort to keep moving forward, to keep praying, to keep studying, to keep doing good for others, to keep having faith that they will not be forgotten about. Jesus assured us in numerous parables and then in uh, more actions in his life The fact that God is not willing that anything in this world keep us from him. Do you realize that? He'll he'll leave the 99 for you. He'll leave the 99 for you. He'll search high and low. He'll walk across the stormy sea, and if necessary, he'll even calm that storm for you, for me. For just one person, if that's what it means. Jesus went to the cross to show us just how serious God was about his love toward us. No price was too great. No valley was too low. No mountain was too high. And when he finds us, he will do what he always does. He blesses. He sanctifies He makes all things new. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We will not only be given a new lease on life, but entirely new bodies. Our corruptible natures will be made incorruptible. But God doesn't just stop right there with this reset. He's got a few more promises for us. Jesus promised us new homes. In John 14, in talking with his disciples, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, depending on your translation, maybe it says many rooms. But regardless of whether it's a mansion, whether it's a room, I I imagine it's probably a lot bigger than what we might be picturing in our minds. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, we can imagine mansions. We can imagine big rooms. We've all got hopes and dreams, and we can create grand and spectacular images in our minds using our holy imaginations, but none of those imaginings come even close to the reality of what it's actually going to be like. Paul made the following statement in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 
We can't fathom. We can't even imagine it. Whatever you can imagine, it'll be a lot better. Our hearts can yearn for some pretty amazing stuff, but none of that comes close to the truth of how it will be. When we arrive in heaven, the first thing that we're going to see are the gates. And Revelation 21, 21 describes the gates in this way. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Now that's a pretty big pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, I don't know how many of you follow the, the, the history of gold and, and the price of gold and how beautiful it can look. Now, gold is pretty expensive. Gold is one of those things that, that you can usually depend on. It's not gonna lose much value. But when I look at gold, it doesn't, it doesn't look like what's being described here, like transparent glass. And then I think about pearls. You know, I mean, you, you, you get a pearl like this big and you think, wow, that is a massive pearl. But an entire gate built out of one pearl? <laughs> Twelve gates, each of them made from a single pearl. But once again, it doesn't stop right there. I, I love this next little tidbit because it really shows us how much our lives will change. In this world, we've, we've got to close our gates, we've got to lock our doors, we've got to set our alarm systems in our homes. But in heaven, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. Well, what about night? There shall be no night there. No gates closed. No night. No worrying about anybody breaking in because at this point, sin is gone. All are welcome. And then we shall be given new clothes. New clothes. Revelation 3, 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Did you see the children this morning in their, their white robes? That was done for a purpose. Good, good, good illustration. They shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You know, not all of us have had the experience of of, of having parents that made it clear that they loved us, that parents that made it clear that they were proud of us, that they supported us, that they wanted to show us off, they wanted us to be introduced to their friends. But this verse right here is saying something different. Our God is not embarrassed of us. Our God is not shamed by us. But instead, he's proud of us. We'll also be given another special gift. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you want a crown given to you by God? 
Now, you might, you might be saying, well, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself with a crown. I know about my pride. I know what I might do with that crown. But remember, we're going to be changed, right? Inside and out. And if you, you keep reading, if you follow the narrative, you see that we're all going to take those crowns and we're going to throw them at the feet of Jesus. Those are his crowns. It's because of him that we'll be there. We don't need a crown. We've got Jesus. New homes, new bodies, new clothing, new freedoms, a new lease on life. And all of this will be ours in our future home. All the things that we now fear, those things that hurt, those things that harm, those things that hinder and harass, all that will be done away with, never to be seen again. Revelation 21, 27 says, but there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Revelation 22, 3. This is the, the start, the beginning of eternal life. And we'll have all the time that we need to be comforted, to heal, and to flourish. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. But why, you may ask, are we worthy? Why would the God of the universe, the, the creator of all things, work so hard, go to such great lengths to brighten our lives? We can't comprehend it. We can't understand it. All we can do is by faith accept it. Ephesians 3.19 says, To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The answer to that question of why is the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus. The love of God. And as you read through the narrative of the Bible, from beginning to end, you'll see the same thread of truth. And that thread says, God is love. God is the very embodiment of all that is good, all that is righteous, all that is holy. And in closing, I'd like to repeat the quote that the children's Sabbath school classes read for us earlier this morning because it's so Beautiful, so vivid. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. 
From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. What a beautiful image, dear friends. And it's not a fictional tale. It's not some pipe dream. Because of Jesus, it will soon be our reality. Our reality. Jesus sealed our salvation with his blood. He confirmed our eternal life with his death. And he extends an invitation to us all. Three times. Three times in the closing chapter of Revelation, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. We are invited to come to him. If we are thirsty, he offers us living water. And the spirit tells us, whoever desires, let him or her take the water of life freely. The invitation is there. Will you accept it? Will you accept the gift? Heaven is an invitation sealed with love. If you accept this invitation, then I'm just going to ask you to stand with me now. If you accept the invitation from Christ and you want to be there in heaven, you want eternal life, you're looking forward to that blessed hope, just stand with me now for the benediction. And I'm also gonna invite Sarah Shepherd to come forward to stand at the foot of the steps. She's our elder in charge today. And after the benediction, those of you that, that wish to leave, you will be dismissed. But if anybody is here and, and you have a, a special request, you need special prayer. Myself or Sarah, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to take those petitions to the throne of God with you. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. It's because of Jesus, because of his life, his example, his death, his resurrection, and his promises that we look forward to his second coming, and we call it the blessed hope. Because sometimes in this world, it's the only hope that we have. Lord, we look forward to that time with you, with our loved ones, for all of eternity. But Lord, in the meantime, as we look forward to it in hopeful expectation, may we also live as if we believe it. May we also be willing to share this invitation to extend it with others in this world. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lord, use us in whatever way you see fit. And Lord, as we wait for the second coming, hold us close to your heart. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.